These are today's pink cards. Lee did this for over a dozen years, and Bob now has taken it over, and it is a blessing to all of us. It makes people who sit out there in the pew feel like they and their needs are all alone and unknown. Makes them feel like that is not the last word, that there is a place for them here and that God has not forgotten them. It's important to remember that because so often we feel like nobody understands or or nobody is alone. We feel like that little turkey a little bit. Everybody else is on the inside and we're watching. It's a common trait. Actually, two sociological classics of the last 20 years have talked about how this idea of isolation is a mark of American society. Bowling Alone by Putnam. And Glazer's The Lonely Crowd talk about how people are afraid of time alone because they've forgotten how to be alone. And they're afraid of intimacy even when they are surrounded by people and they need somehow to find a community but they don't know how to live in that community. We bowl alone. We live in a lonely crowd. Soren Kierkegaard once said that um, life Life is lived forwards, but only understood backwards. I'll say that again. Life is lived forwards, but only understood backwards. That means that sometimes, to make sense, you need to go back to the roots of how things started to see what it means, instead of just following the same old routine and expecting that something different will happen. Life is lived forward, but only understood backwards. So back at the very beginning, when people back then were part of a lonely crowd or they felt like they were bowling alone and nobody understood, how did they find a God who gave them a sense of community? We have been looking this month at Paul's, I'm sorry, at at the book of Acts, chapter 2. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Whatever following Jesus is about, it is not a solo sport. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That does not mean they became members of the local church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I looked in the dictionary. Fellowship is defined as friendship or loyalty. More previously than commonly, fellowship is defined as allegiance to a common goal. And I think that's the intent that the author is getting here. They banded together around a common goal. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about the spiritual discipline of association. 
We come to church to have a different association. That means we gather with people that we don't choose, some of whom we like and some of whom we don't like, most of whom we don't know. We gather around a cause larger than any of us. As those early people met Jesus, as they gathered together and then they found themselves scattered by the way that life is, they went back to their homes or they were persecuted and left or they had a new job and they went to another town. They scattered all over the Roman Empire and they found themselves in Rome. And Paul writes the psalm and says, greet those who are in the household of Caesar. Some of them became the mighty and the powerful. But most of them were like the people at the house fellowship in Corinth, in Greece. And Paul says to them, remember who you were when you were first called. Not many of you were wise or important or noble. God chose the smallest people in the world so that nobody could boast. Most of the early followers of Jesus, slaves and free, women and men, Romans and Greeks and Jews, had never belonged to a fellowship like this before. Let me give you, um, since I love, by the way, I don't know if you were here last week for Matt's sermon. I thought it was just fabulous. One of the things he did was to quote a second century historian. Let me give you another one. This is uh, a governor, actually, uh, the governor of uh, Bithynia. We, I think we have a slide of Bithynia up here. There you go. It's actually, you don't understand, that's Turkey. That's modern Turkey. At the northern part of Turkey, the northwest part is where Istanbul is. Bithynia is probably someplace close to where Constantinople or Istanbul is. Anyway, this guy is the governor of that part of the empire. And in the year 112, about 60 years after the book of Acts is written, Pliny the governor writes a letter to the emperor Trajan. He probably is writing it to cover his, his rear end. He's having trouble with some of these Jews. He's having trouble with some of these Christians. And he's heard that Rome is unsettled about them. So he said, let me tell you, I've been exploring this Jewish problem, this Christian problem. And I brought some of them in. They asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. They gathered together before dawn, and they sang responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit crime, not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to leave loans unpaid, not to refuse to give others when called to do so. And when this is over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary, uh, innocent food. And then nonchalantly, Pliny goes on in this letter, and he says, well, I wanted to make sure I was getting the truth, uh, so um, I, I gathered a couple of the women, these ignorant slave women, and I had them tortured. Like you and I would say, I got a speeding ticket. I had them tortured. They were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing more but what he called an excessive devotion to these same superstitions. And he ends this part of the letter and he says, and it is spreading, your majesty, not only to the cities, but also to the villages and churches. 
to many of every age, every rank, and both sexes. What should I do? What can I do? It was a new kind of association where people gathered together with some that they, they didn't choose who these new people were. They liked some, they didn't like others. Most of them they didn't know, but they gathered together around a cause larger than any of them, and they were changed by their community. They had a new fellowship. What's the most common use of the word fellowship in the last 20 years? The fellowship of the ring. It's in the Lord of the Rings a trilogy, the first book, the first part of the adventure, is that gathered together are a very unusual group of misfits, hobbits and dwarves and heroes, disguised, exiled kings, and they are given a journey to go on together. That is what a fellowship is like. Unusual people gathered together, changed by their journey. The care of the first church was rooted in their need to be changed by Christ. They didn't come to join a club. They came because they found other people talking about this Yeshua, this Messiah who had changed their lives. And they saw the changed lives and they said, I want to be part of that. And it started by just doing some things together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship it says. What does that mean? Well, he gives three instances. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to eating together, the breaking of bread. Probably the Lord's Supper comes out of that. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And they found that when they devoted themselves to prayer, their lives were changed like Bob's life was changed on the video. When we pray for each other, we are changed. Now, I've got to tell you, I think some of you are missing the journey of faith because all you're doing is coming to church. You are not part of the fellowship, part of the association. And I believe that we miss the journey when we bowl alone, when we live life by ourselves. And we miss the fellowship. We miss the fellowship when we won't go on the journey together, when we just want to stay in church. I, um, I had a fun uh, dinner on Friday night. Laura and I had uh, four other couples over, and I saw the fellowship of the ring, or rather the, the fellowship of the king, around that table. Uh, all different uh, kinds. And, uh, and we asked them, we said, um, what makes this church different for you? What makes it different to be part of this fellowship? And the the first person uh, said, uh, the first week we were here was almost 20 years ago now, and the very first week we were here, John, you got up and you talked about how one of your staff had stolen over $100,000 from the church, and we weren't sure what we were going to do next. You remember that, Tom? (laughs) Tom was one of the chairs of the personnel committee that I brought in and said, what are we going to do now? (laughs) And this couple said, and I couldn't believe that you brought it out into the open. I couldn't believe that you treated this person not like the enemy, but like a broken sinner who was in need of grace and truth. And I turned to my wife. This guy said, and I turned to my wife and said, if this is what these guys are like on their worst days, let's hang around to see what good looks like. So the mark of a fellowship 
is that please, if you are perfect, don't join us. We'll screw you up. (laughs) We start in need of grace. We are broken people in need of grace and truth. And and the second couple was a young couple, uh, still in their 20s, and uh, they said, well, uh, we both have moved to the cities and we do not have family here. And as a young couple, we found it hard to have uh, a family and uh, we came here to church one time, and we met this other couple, neat young couple, and then they invited us to go to this Sunday morning community, and we have found a family. We found a family here. And we think we're supposed to move, but it's hard to think about moving because our family, our family is here now. Fellowship goes past. I'll see you on Saturday. It's where you start to let each other into your lives. The third couple uh, said... Uh, Uh, We are here because we were ready to go to another church. Our kids were closer to that church. We we were ready to go to another church, and then one of our friends is an agnostic, sort of an atheist, and he got deathly ill, developed a severe cancer, and your church did not ask. They sprang into action, and they brought meals, and they took him to the doctor, and they didn't try to convert him. They just loved him and loved him and loved him and walked with him all the way to death's door. And at the end, right toward death, he came to a faith in Christ, and it was so sweet. But then the family was just enfolded by this church, and they have never let go. And this couple said, and we we can't leave that. We want to be part of that. And then the, uh, the, the fourth one was a, a young, another younger couple. And, and she said, well, I'm here because we were invited to mom's morning. And it was a point of sanity in my week. And I got to know all these other young women, and it was just great. I had this place. But my husband had just been asked to be the elder of our church up north. And so every day we would drive past this church on Sunday, and I found myself being so sad that I couldn't be with these other young moms, and I would pray for their children. I found myself sad after the joy of being invited in. That's fellowship. It's not sitting in the pew, although that's that's an important start. It's being involved in the life of the risen Christ together. You know, in the very first church, in the first century, these little houses These little churches were so small, they met in houses, and it was so hard to be a Christian in that culture that without staying in that little fellowship, in that house church, you lost your faith. As a matter of fact, Paul talks to a a group in Corinth that are having a huge problem with a guy who will just not... Let his libido be subject to the lordship of Christ. He wants to have sex with anybody that he wants to have sex with. And Paul is saying, no, you cannot let him do this because then it makes it look like God doesn't care and God cares. If he will not change, ask him again. If he will not change, throw him out of the fellowship for the destruction of his soul, it says. That's awfully harsh. Somehow it means... If you are not in the fellowship, you are in danger of the destruction of your soul. In the next letter that Paul writes, 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm so glad you did what I asked. And that when he was out there on his own, he came to his senses, bring him back in. Make him part of our fellowship again. 
there is a sense in which we do not even know how plastic or how thin our faith is until we lose fellowship. I got a note on, on Thursday from a good friend. Dear Cross, thanks for sending me the book and the implied optimism <laughs> that I'll be able to jump into a, a, a Bible study meeting and get my spiritual life back in gear. In all honesty, I'm adrift spiritually since I uh, left CPC a while back. The summer always brings distractions and, uh, and falling out of a routine, but with the advent of fall and lacking a church home and a center for spiritual gravity, it's been a struggle to connect with a religious community where we feel that our needs are met and we also celebrate a sense of fellowship and community. I'm hopeful we'll find that eventually, but in the meantime, your prayers for my guidance and peace and soul are much needed and appreciated. With a church on every corner, it may not look like getting thrown out of a church is the destruction of your soul, but I gotta tell you, I know a lot of people who are spiritually unanchored, bobbing around. Fellowship in the house of God is not some mystical, feel-good group where I know everybody. For Bob, for Bob, fellowship became the realization that when his dear Lee died, he was called to go on with this fellowship of prayers who rarely see each other. It's not some spiritual feel-good. The, the choir is another place like that. The, the communities are another place. Many of you go on mission trips, and they become another place. Maybe for some of you, it's a small group, or your team teaching children, or you're out in the parking lot trying to get these people not to kill each other, and you share this bond with each other. Where has the idea of fellowship enriched your faith? Or are you just coming to church? What's missing from your journey with the fellowship? Are you bowling alone spiritually? Um, we're we're going to have a special time. Usually we take all these prayer cards and we um, sort through them and pray for them by categories. But on days, on days where we have communion, uh, the prayer is, is a little different. It, it talks about the community and, and what we're involved with. And today, in a very special way on All Saints Day, it's a reminder that our fellowship is just starting. That there are people that we do not see who are celebrating the love of the King with us. I, uh, I, one of the reasons this dinner was so very special the other night was that uh, one of the ladies there uh, shared how she was privileged to be at her mom's bedside when her mom died. And her dad, the husband of over 50 years, was there, and as the labored breaths came to an end, those big gasping breaths that the dying have that are further and further apart, when they finally stopped and she was at rest, the daughter has her head on mom's lap and she hears her father, the husband, clapping. Saying, way to go, honey. 
Way to go. Way to finish the race. With the knowledge that it cut his heart in half. But this woman had run that leg of the race and now she was at the table. And whenever he came to the table, he would share this meal with her. And one day, face to face, whether a wife or a mother, an aunt, a child, we would see each other around the table of the Lord. As we celebrate this All Saints Day, we will take our time. For the first five or six minutes, we're going to put up on the screen uh, the images of the folks who have died and left our fellowship, our fellowship, to join this fellowship this year. And as we go forward and serve each other communion, we sense their presence with us. But before we do that, let's pray. We are not meant to live alone, Lord Jesus. But we can be lonely even in a crowd. We can even bowl alone, choosing to live with our hearts hidden, choosing to live too busy to let others be involved in our lives. But when we do gather together, around your table with some that we like and some that we don't like and many that we don't know. When we build that new community, you use these relationships to show us how to love you better, how to forgive and how to serve. And and you teach us things that we would never learn alone. It's why you gathered us together with those disciples and you broke the bread on that night and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the juice. You said, this is my blood poured out for you and the forgiveness of your sins. We do that again in your presence and in theirs. And we ask you, with the harsh sting of death, to give us the assurance that as you died, you live. And as they died, they live with you. And together, we eat the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. Bless them. Bless us in your name. Amen.